Overcoming Family Sin Patterns from the sermon series, Soul Care, spoken by Pastor Peter on. A little personal confession this morning. Last Sunday, uh, last Saturday I should say, it was a really busy day for me. Got up early in the morning um, and uh, did a lot of ministry work. Didn't come home until probably around 3.30 uh, p.m. Uh, didn't really get a chance to eat breakfast, so I was hungry. Uh, I had my lunch at home when I got home at 3.30, but it wasn't enough because I can eat a lot. And uh, it wasn't enough for me, and so I I, I just said, you know, I'm not going to overeat because I'm going to save myself for dinner. And 7 o'clock rolled around. It was time for us to actually go and have some dinner, and we decided to order Chipotle because Christian, my son, decided he found these coupon codes that if you buy one, you get one free. And so he got it for everyone in the family. Christina wasn't home. She was out with her friends. And uh, it was time to order. And in order for it to work, you have to download the Chipotle app on your phone and then order it that way. And I've never done that before. Couldn't really figure it out. We called Christian to come down from his room to help us. But he was playing video games. Parents, you know what happens when your son or your daughter is playing video games. Many times they won't even listen to you because they can't. they got the headphones on. We yelled a couple of times for him to come down, and he did not. And then I started to get hangry. I really did. My wife threatened. She said, if you don't come down, I'm going to go upstairs, and I'm going to actually shut off your computer. And that got his attention. He came down. He got on my phone, looked at my app, ordered the phone, he ordered the food, he put the coupon code in, and he just said, you guys are so old, I can't believe you don't know how to do this. And he did it on my phone, did it on his phone, and then he, he went on Kayla's phone, and uh, he didn't hit duplicate, and he sent the order, and we only were able to get one there. We didn't get the free one. And I don't know what it was, but just the fact that he didn't hit duplicate, I got upset. I start yelling at him. I said, what's wrong with you? Why, why did you do that? You know you, you got to click on duplicate. And, uh, and he really didn't know how to respond. And, and, and I just got even angrier. And I, and I started yelling at Kayla. And she looked at me. She's like, Dad, why are you yelling at me? I didn't do anything. He just used my phone. She was right. I made them all get in the car. Kayla was in her pajamas. I said, okay, we're all going up to Chipotle together. And we're going to talk to the manager. And hopefully we can get a free burrito bowl. And so we all went up to Chipotle together. I got my order. Christian picked up his. My wife went with Kayla, and she ended up getting the free order. We talked to the manager. They gave us the free order. Everything was fine. We were in the car, and I was still upset. I said, Christian, if you're going to go ahead, and if you're going to find these coupon codes, and you're not going to help us next time, I said, don't even bother. I also said to him, I said, you better stop playing video games. I'm getting sick of it. We get into the house, sitting on the dining table, eating our Chipotle burrito bowls, all of us. It's quiet. Kids aren't really talking. And then my wife, who doesn't have great discernment, she kind of just says, hey, what's wrong with you? Why do you get so upset over that? It worked out, didn't it? And then she said this. She said, it's just Chipotle. And when she said that, I felt the weight of shame come over me. Because at the end of the day, she was absolutely right. It's just Chipotle. And I tried to defend myself. I was trying to do whatever I could to to defend myself. But there was nothing I could say. Because at the end of the day, it was just Chipotle. It was just Chipotle. Metro, I've been struggling with unrighteous anger my entire life. It's been a daily struggle for me. And, you know, anger isn't sinful you know, because God gets angry. It's righteous anger. But the unrighteous anger or the sinful anger is really found in Ephesians 4.26. And what Paul says there, he says, when anger controls you, that's a sin. And my whole life I've battled this. 
I battled, and it's not something that was a foreign thing that came into my life one day. No, I, I inherited that from my mother and my father. It's a family sin pattern, I believe, that's been passed down from generation to generation, and uh, I inherited it from them. And the hardest sin pattern that you and I will ever have to overcome in our lives are our families. That evening before I went to bed, I, we prayed together as a family, and I said, Kayla, Christian, did I overreact today? And they both looked at me, and they were saying, yeah, are you kidding me? Of course you overreacted. And I said, Kayla, w- would you forgive me? And Kayla said, yes. And of course she would. She's like an angel. She doesn't hold grudges. And I turned to Christian. I said, Christian, will you forgive me? And he said, well, I'll think about it. <laughs> and for him, later on, he said, yes. Family sin patterns have an unusual pull on our souls. And they're the most difficult sin patterns to break in our lives. And the only way we're going to overcome family sin patterns, our family sin patterns, is our willingness to take a journey back and do the hard work of discovering them. Because if we can't do that, then what happens over and over again, the family sin pattern will eventually become a curse in our lives. And God does not want that for us to happen. We're going to continue in our series, Soul Care. And today we're going to talk about the third principle of soul care, which is overcoming our family sin patterns. And so before we go there, I'm just going to ask if we can just bow our heads right now at home and if we can just pray to God. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you so much for this time. We want to thank you for this opportunity for us to come together. And God, everyone that's watching right now in their homes can all say that they have a family sin pattern. I pray, God, that you'll help us to overcome them that through this sermon, this will be an opportunity, a catalytic opportunity for us to really take some real forward steps in overcoming our family sin patterns. God, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth, and I pray that the meditation of all of our hearts watching today would truly be pleasing unto you. It's in your name that we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. One of the most powerful paths towards freedom is to grow in self-awareness. Self-awareness is really the only path for you and I to get free from our past. Now, self-awareness doesn't necessarily guarantee freedom, but you certainly cannot live in freedom without it. And what we learn is that if you want to overcome our family sin patterns, my family sin patterns, your family sin patterns, we have to dedicate ourselves to growing in self-awareness. we got to ask ourselves, what are some of the family sin patterns that have been passed down to me? Deuteronomy teaches us, and many other passages in the Old Testament teaches us, that family sin patterns can last anywhere between three to four generations. Now, I'm telling you right now, if it gets down to the third or the fourth generation, it literally becomes a curse. It's not just a sin that we struggle with, but many times we have to try to overcome a curse. We're going to look at Joseph. We're going to look at his family's sin pattern, okay? Now, if we can just show that diagram. This is Joseph's genogram. I want to encourage you, if you've never done a genogram before, please do one this week. There are tons of resources online in which you can do it, but this is Joseph's genogram. Okay, if you can't find anything online to do a genogram, to look at sort of the generations and maybe ask what are some of the family sin patterns, email me, I'll be happy to send you a genogram and its instructions on how to do one, okay? Uh, But here is Joseph's genogram. Here is Joseph's genogram. And Joseph is over there in the yellow, as you can see in that, in that genogram, and there's his wife. Joseph is one of 12 brothers and one sister. And this is his family going back three generations whose lives bear on his personal development. 
You'll notice his grandparents who are Abraham and Sarah. I believe everyone knows who Abraham and Sarah is. There are four sin patterns that we see in that family, that they started this family's sin pattern. The first is lies. The second is sibling rivalry. You know that between, uh, uh, between Ishmael right, and Isaac. And we see that there's favoritism. Isaac was the favorite one, of course. And then there's an unhealthy marriage, all right? I don't got time to really go into all that, but I want to hone in on the favoritism because we see that becoming successively worse as the generation goes on and it literally becomes a curse. Then you get to Joseph's grandparents, Isaac and Rebekah, and you got the same sin pattern, but it gets worse. There are lies. The lies get worse. Lies between husband and wife happens there. We get sibling rivalry again between Esau and Jacob, so much so. Favoritism. Each parent favors a particular child, and we get a really unhealthy marriage. It's getting worse because the wife deceives the husband to give Jacob the blessing, right? Now, when you get to Joseph's parents, Jacob, well, really his father, you'll find, again, that there are lies in that family, sibling rivalry, favoritism, and a really unhealthy marriage. Why? Because Jacob had two wives. And he also had two concubines. He had 12 sons, all born from different women. You got literally a blended family to the max there. A really unhealthy marriage because you cannot be in a healthy marriage if you have multiple spouses and concubines. Impossible. And Jacob is a pathological liar. In fact, his Hebrew name, Jacob, literally means the one who deceives. Jacob favors his son, Joseph, the most. Because Joseph was born to Rachel, his favorite wife. Rachel was his mom. And so as a result of, even though Joseph was the youngest at the time, Jacob decides to give him a robe that is usually in the Hebrew culture only given to the oldest son, which was Reuben at the time. But this robe was beautiful and ornate. It gave it to Joseph. Joseph wore it in front of his brothers. How do you think that worked out? Not very good. In fact, the brothers hated him because of that favoritism. Because he was the youngest, and yet... Jacob, the father, favored him the most. Joseph also had a dream, and Joseph, one of his spiritual gifts, was actually interpreting dreams and getting prophetic dreams. And he told his brothers, he said, I had this dream last night that all of you one day will kneel before me. Well, that didn't sit very well with with the brothers. And as a result of it, Joseph endured some deep traumatic events of his family. And this is what happens when we don't overcome family sin patterns. They become curses that eventually really create tremendous trauma in our lives. What are some of the traumatic experiences that Joseph experienced? There were three, but a trauma is literally a startling experience in your life that has a lasting effect on your mental life. Trauma is a startling experience in your life that has a lasting effect on your mental life. There are major traumas in Joseph's life, major traumas that you and I have endured, and we have to be willing to go back and become more self-aware of it. But the first trauma that Joseph sustained was the betrayal of his brothers. That's found in Genesis 37. They throw him in a well. After they throw him in a well, they decide to sell him into slavery for about $80,000, two years' wage. His brothers betray him. Why? Because Joseph was their favored one. And as a result, the brothers went back and told their father, Jacob, that Joseph got killed by an animal. And for 22 years, Jacob believed that Joseph had been killed. The second trauma that Joseph sustained as a result of the betrayal of his brothers was the trauma of loss. Joseph loses everything. He's he's sold into slavery, loses his mother, loses his father, loses his country, loses his language. He loses his nurture, his place. He loses everything, his friends, his comfort. 
You can only imagine some of the self-talk that Joseph was probably struggling with. He probably thought he didn't amount to much. He says, there must be something wrong with me if my brothers could do this. Shame was probably something he had to overcome. And then the third trauma Joseph sustained was that he was in prison for about 11 to 13 years. He was a slave in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife was attracted to him. She tried to seduce him. Joseph says no. She tells her husband that Joseph tried to rape me, and then the husband, Potiphar, puts Joseph in jail anywhere between 11 and 13 years. Talk about carrying a profound, deep trauma and baggage in your life. Well, during that time, uh, while he was in prison, towards the end of his 13th year or so, uh, Pharaoh has this dream that nobody can interpret. Nobody can interpret this dream. And uh, one of the former prisoners who was a cupbearer to the king said, I know who can interpret that. It's a man by the name of Joseph. He's in prison. He's great at this. Joseph comes up, interprets the dream. It was about famine and, and blessing. And so Pharaoh says, well, listen, being that you were able to interpret the dream, I'm now going to make you the prime minister of Egypt. And so here is Joseph, a prisoner, now the second most powerful person in Egypt. And his instructions were to get prepared for the famine. And he does. The entire world is suffering from starvation. Well, Joseph's family lived in Canaan at the time, and they needed food. And so Jacob sends the brothers to go and to find some food and get some food from Egypt. And they go and they meet Joseph. It's been 22 years since they've seen him. They didn't even recognize him because Joseph had been completely Egyptianized. Completely. And then Joseph finally reveals his identity to them, and they are flabbergasted, and they're struck with fear because now they believe Joseph is going to seek revenge. Any of us would probably do that. Joseph could have put them in prison. Joseph could have had them killed. He had the authority for that, but he doesn't. He shows them incredible mercy and favor, reunites with, with, with Jacob, his father. They're living happily ever after, but then Jacob dies. And the brothers believe the only reason they sat in Joseph's good graces was because of Jacob, their father. But now that he's dead, Joseph is going to end up hurting us or doing something horrible to us. And so now I want to pick up from Genesis chapter 50. We're going to look at verses 15 to 21. And now the brothers go to Joseph. And again, look at the lies that we see in this family, the generational lies. Because they go to Joseph and they lie to him. Look what it says in verse 15. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pray us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of, of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. You got to ask yourself the question, how could Joseph overcome his family sin pattern? I mean, he's been through three dark, traumatic experiences. How was he able to overcome this to the point where he could look at his brothers in the eye and said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Many of us have been beaten up by our family sin patterns. It's caused us to hurt people we love the most. And sometimes it's us that we hurt the most because of our family sin pattern. 
It has our deep family sin patterns like adultery, lust, lying, anger, favoritism, greed, drugs, alcoholism, whatever it might be, has destroyed the quality of our lives. How can we do battle with this? Here's the problem. If we don't do battle with this, you know what's going to end up happening? We give it to our children. And when they receive it from us, it gets worse. Every generation, it gets worse. Eventually, it becomes a curse. And so that's why we have to do battle with this. How do we overcome our family sin patterns? There are four things that we learn. First, in order for you to overcome your family sin patterns, you have to first admit the family sin. You have to admit the family sin. You have to get to a place where you can fully admit your family sin. Have you ever done that? Have you uncovered it? Have you been able to talk to people about it? Have you been able to admit it in front of some people in your life? It's the only way you're going to really be able to experience the pathway, the beginning path of healing. Growing in self-awareness, again, is really key here. And you really can't grow in self-awareness unless you're willing to admit, unless you're willing to confess and share the family sin patterns in your life. It's a key component. It's really step one in order for you to get there. We can only imagine that Joseph, for the 13 years he was in prison, he spent time reflecting, growing, admitting his family sin patterns. The only reason why we, we can assume that is because Joseph was ministering in prison. You don't sustain those kinds of traumas in life. And if you're not on a path towards healing, there's no way you can minister to people. If you are wounded and you are not on a path towards healing, you cannot minister to people. It's impossible because the wounds are too fresh and too painful. Joseph was on a path to recovery. He was healing. He was maturing. And as a result of that, he was able to minister. He did the first step. He was able to admit his family sins. Our families tend to guard secrets, don't they? And there's this sixth sense of family loyalty that many of us are bounded by. Our parents have told us, don't you ever share this with anyone else. This is a family secret. Growing up, my parents fought a lot, uh, particularly when I was younger. My father, would, whenever he would drink, he would become very violent. I saw a lot of things that he did to my mom physically. It was nothing that any child should grow up in. It was not a good home. As he got older, he stopped doing that. He started to take his faith seriously, but the verbal abuse was bad. And sometimes verbal abuse could be just as bad as physical abuse. And one day they were fighting. They were much older, and my mom was yelling. They were just fighting, and I just said to him, I said, Dad, you know, why don't, why don't you just go to church and talk to your pastor and see if he could counsel you two? And he looked at me, and he said, are you crazy? He said, I am an elder of the church. I would never do that. That was code for me saying, as a family, we never talk about our problems with anyone. Maybe you grew up in a home where you've been told that as a family, we never talk about our problems in our home. But you and I know that if we're not going to admit it, we're not going to be able to experience healing. James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. When you and I admit our family's sin patterns, we begin the process of overcoming them. It's really the first step of overcoming our family sin pattern. The power of that sin pattern begins to lose its effectiveness on your life. That's the first step. Second, how do we overcome our family sin patterns? No compromise. You literally have to live your life with the sense of, I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to, be, I'm not going to compromise and perpetuate the family sin pattern. Joseph had a no compromise way of living. Remember Potiphar's wife? Remember how she wanted to seduce him? What did Joseph? Joseph was a very good looking man. He knew the unhealthy relationship his father Jacob had with his moms. He knew what sexual 
temptation and lust did in his own family. And so when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, what did he do? He ran the other way and he created this no compromise rule to the point where she even grabbed his robe and he was completely naked. He didn't care. He would not commit that sin. He created a no compromise type of rule. And you and I, if we want to get there, you admit your family's sin pattern. But if we want to continue to grow, we have to create a no compromise type of rule. We really do. Listen, um, if you grew up in a home where alcoholism was prevalent in your family, it would be unwise for you to be drinking. Particularly if you've seen yourself get drunk in the past and you've seen your behavior as a result of it. You've got to create a no compromise type of rule. If you come from a family line of adultery and divorce and things like that, you've got you to gotta be careful, especially if you're married now, to never use the D word. And especially, you got to be careful befriending someone from the opposite sex, particularly if you come from a family line where adultery was kind of a normal thing in your family. you got to be wise about that because if you're not, you're going to get yourself in real big trouble. And it happens all the time. You see news all the time with pastors, with moral failure, all those things. I tell pastors all the time on our staff and the ones that I mentor, I just say just make sure you create a no compromise rule when it comes to adultery. So it's not to say you cannot have relationships with other women in the, in the church that you're ministering to or men in the church that you're ministering to, but you've got to create healthy boundaries so that you don't get yourself in trouble. Know yourself really well. Create this no-compromise way of living when it comes to overcoming your family's sin. Otherwise, we can't do it. Jesus was a no-compromise kind of guy, and I just want you to see kind of how hardcore he can be. Look what he says in Matthew 5, verse 27 to 30. Matthew 5, 27 to 30. He says, you have heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, Jesus doesn't want you to do this quite literally. But he wants you to create this no compromise type of rule when it comes to dealing with some sin patterns, particularly your family's sin patterns, because they're the hardest, hardest to overcome. I think we live in a generation of just such compromise. Ah, it's okay. We'll just, we'll just do it. And... If you want to overcome your family's sin patterns, you have to create a no compromise type of rule. Otherwise, you will live into it. And if you have family, you will give it to your kids. It's no way to live. Third, how do we overcome our family's sin patterns? Get help. Get help. No compromise. After you can get there, you really got to say, I need, I need some help. You can't do it alone. No matter how good you are, how, no matter how good you think you are, there is no way you can overcome your family's sin pattern. You need help. You need to invite people to be a part of your life to help you through this process because if you don't, we can't do this alone. And so I want to encourage you. There are several, a couple things I think you need to do in terms of inviting people into your, into your community so that you can get help to overcome your family's sin patterns, all right? Uh, the first thing is this. Get some counseling. I encourage you to invite a counselor into your life. And sometimes, I'm just going to be honest, some of you tried and you said it was a horrible experience. It happens. It's not easy to find a good counselor, but when you do, it's great. So just be patient. Go look around for a good counselor. If one doesn't work, just go to another one, and until you find somebody that really connects well with you, 
Counseling is an important aspect. You cannot overcome your family's sin pattern unless you have somebody help you with that. It's important. I encourage you to get a spiritual mentor. Find somebody who can help you as well, spiritually help you and, and, and keep you accountable to that. And then the last thing is what I talked about last week. you got to get to a place. Your no compromise rule has to be that if you do by chance end up compromising, you have to be willing to confess it to someone. Incarnational confession, right? It's so different from excarnational confession. So much of us in the church, we've embraced an excarnational way of confessing. What is that? That is just going in a room between us and God and you just confess your sins. That's not real confession. Bonhoeffer says you're only confessing it to yourself because Jesus says if you want me there, I'm always present with the other person. When two or more are gathered, I will be there. So incarnational confession is you getting together with someone and you confessing your sins regularly to them. That is incarnational confession. And I want to encourage you to make sure you do that. That's how you get help. That's how you can overcome your family sin patterns is through incarnational confession. Get help. Get help, all right? The very last thing, we overcome our family sin pattern. We practice spiritual disciplines. That's how we overcome it. Engaging in certain spiritual disciplines will help us to counteract certain sin patterns more effectively. They really will. In the book, when you read the book, uh, Rob Reamer talks about fasting and praying, how important that is. Fasting and praying is a great way that if you really want to overcome a family sin pattern that's maybe become a curse in your life, you have to be willing to fast and pray. Last year, uh, when I realized that the genesis of my anger was really from shame. See, anger is a secondary emotion. It's not primary. A primary emotion is shame. And when I learned that shame was the reason why I get so angry at times, I decided to fast and pray. I fasted for 40 days. I said, I'm going to take care of this. i got to work on this because it is destroying my life. And it was one of the best things I could have ever done. Fast and pray. Those spiritual disciplines, Jesus did it. Listen, some of you are saying, I don't know if I need to fast and pray. Yeah, if Jesus did it and it worked for him, it can work for you. Fast and pray. Find out what those family sin patterns are. Identify them and fast and pray that God will help you. The other thing that's really helped me in the last several months, is that I start to pray scripture verses. As some scripture verses hit me, I start to kind of make that my prayer, and I pray it every day. There are two prayers that I pray every single day, and it's really helped me in my life. The first one is in Psalms 103, 12. This is the prayer. I pray, Father, please remove my sins of anger, lust, shame, pride, selfishness, impatience, and fear as far as the east is from the west. I've been praying that prayer since the summer, and I'm telling you, it's, been, it's like a game changer. Pray the scripture. Something I've been praying more recently, Psalms 101-2. We should all be praying this. Jesus, allow me to lead a life of integrity in my own home. Jesus, allow me to lead a life of integrity in my own home. If your family's sin pattern is selfishness, Philippians 2, 3, and 4 would be great. Paul says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Pray scripture verses. They're powerful. And then the last spiritual practice that's really been helpful for me to overcome family sin patterns is I like to journal my emotions. Now men, I know for men, we don't think that's very masculine. You know, we don't think journaling your emotions is very masculine. It really is. The greatest gift you can give to yourself is to become more self-aware. You cannot be self-aware if you're not willing to process what you're feeling. Because in our society, especially for men, we're taught to not feel. 
It's not very masculine to feel. And so just kind of suck it up and just go forward. It's one of the most damaging things you can do to yourself. Start journaling what you feel. Bring it before the Lord. And I guarantee you, God will meet with you there because in that transparency, God will do something real beautiful in your life. In order for us to overcome our family sin patterns, we have to first admit the family sin, create a no-compromise way of living, get help, and practice spiritual disciplines. I got to tell you, um, like I shared in the beginning, anger has been a family sin pattern of mine that I've struggled with my entire life. I still struggle with it today. But it reached its apex when I was in college. And I realized I needed some help at that point. When I was in college, um, I got an unexpected phone call from my sister. I was at my house. And uh, she called me out of the blue. And uh, we just started talking. And sometimes we do that. You know, I don't really talk that often with my sisters. But this particular moment, she just wanted to talk to me. And so we did. And we started talking about God, spirituality, and different things like that. And then in our conversation, she shared something with me that um, I will never forget. I was horrified. Grew up in a home where when, when my dad was drunk, he would become physically abusive, particularly to my mother, but to my sisters and I. But I was not ready for what my sister shared with me. She shared that when she was younger, my father had sexually abused her. And I never knew that that even occurred in her life. And she shared with me in detail how that ruined her life. How she was never able to be happy from that day forward. And I guess the part that I felt so bad about it was that she said, Peter, you didn't notice? You didn't notice that one day I just changed? And I was so young, I just said, I'm so sorry, I, I didn't notice. She said, how could you not notice? How could you not notice I was always alone in my room and I never came out? I just locked myself in the room every day growing up, and I didn't. When I got off that phone with her, it was rage at that moment. It was late at night. My father slept in the living room on the floor. He had like a sleeping bag and he would sleep there every day. I went into my kitchen and I grabbed a knife and I said, I'm going to kill this SOB. He doesn't deserve to live anymore. All he did was destroy our lives. And I had no idea he destroyed my sister's life like that. I don't know how close I was to killing him, but it was pretty close. And I'm telling you, if I didn't believe in God that time, I don't know if I could stand here before you even today. At that moment, I sat on that couch. And I just asked God, why in the world would you give me a father like this? Why? Why would you destroy our lives with a guy like this? And I realized that at that moment, that if I don't do work with my anger, I'm going to be just like this guy. And i got to start the journey. And it's been a long journey. I'm tired. I've done a lot of work in this area. It's taken me decades. I'm never going to stop. Because a couple of months ago, I was praying and God said, you need to encourage your kids today. I said, okay. You know, I try to encourage them every day, but I said, all right. And I, and I didn't take it as seriously towards dinner time. And finally, when we got to dinner, it was like the spirit just kind of came over the dinner table. And I just said, hey, is it okay if I encourage you today? And they just said, sure. 
And so Christina, I just, she's the oldest. I looked at her and I say, hey, honey, I just want you to know you are most like me, <laughs> for better or for worse, but you're most like me, I said. I said, um, I really admire you. And I said, I have no concerns about you. Like, I don't worry about my daughter Christina at all. She's one of the most responsible people. She's got some of the best people around her as friends. And I was like, I see the way you're leading in a varsity right now. I see how you're stepping up and you're doing this. I'm not pressuring you to do any of it. I just see how you're blossoming into this beautiful, young, intelligent leader. And it's just amazing. I just, I couldn't be any prouder of you. I said, like, you cannot make me more proud than I am of you right now. And then my daughter, Kayla, I said, you are just like your mom. <laughs> you are like a carbon copy of her. You're like an angel. You're slow to get angry. You're always wanting to serve and help out around the house. Even though we don't ask you, you always want to help out. Till, till this day, every day, if I'm home, she makes me lunch while she's in school. She's like, Dad, what do you want for lunch? That's just her heart. I said, you're like an angel. You're like an angel. And then Christian, I said, Christian, you're like a mixture of mom and me. And I'm so glad you don't have the bad stuff of me. And I said, the thing I admire about you the most is that you have this humble confidence about yourself. I said, when I grew up, I needed people's approval to feel good about myself. But you don't have that. You have this confidence about yourself, and yet you're humble. I was like, I wish, if I was, I wish when I was your age, I had what you had. It was a good day in my home that night. The kids felt really encouraged. And I went to bed thinking, this work of overcoming family sin is so hard. It's painful. But it's worth it. Because my kids will never have to live the kind of life I've had to live and carry the family sin that I've had to carry my whole life. You've made mistakes. Your family sin has hurt you and hurt others. But it's not too late. You've got to be willing to do the work. You have to admit it first. You have to be willing to not compromise that family sin. You've got to be willing to get help. And you've got to be willing to practice some spiritual disciplines to help you. I'm going to give you a moment. Catrice, you and your team can come on up. I want to give you a moment. I'm going to invite you to pray. I'm going to be very honest with you this morning. I prayed for you, and it's the first time I ever wept when I was praying. I wept for about 20 minutes this morning as I was praying for you. So I pray that God would really move in your life today. And um, what I want you to do is I want you to go back into a memory that you have that was particularly difficult from your family. A traumatic moment it could be, or just a moment that was not good, that hurt you deeply. Maybe you've never, re maybe you've never revisited. But what we're going to do is we're going to invite the Spirit to come today into that memory of yours. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to look for Jesus. As you go back to that painful memory, Jesus is there, right? He's omnipresent. I want you to look for Jesus in that scene of that pain. And then I want you to look at what is Jesus doing and see if Jesus is saying anything to you. And listen. Listen to what he might be saying. Listen to what he might be doing.
And please, I know you might be with your kids. I know you might, whatever. Don't try to control yourself. This is not a moment where you try to control. Let yourself go. Let the Holy Spirit minister to you wherever you are right now. Let him do it. All right? So go back, pick. I know some of you have a lot of pain in your life. Just pick one and look for Jesus. What is he saying? What is he doing? All right? And Catrice is going to sing the blessing while you spend time in prayer. All right? I'm going to pray for us, and then she's going to sing, and then you can go and invite Jesus to that painful moment. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come right now. Jesus, I pray that you would come. And you will reveal yourself to my brothers and sisters in such a powerful way. Through a moment in life when they grew up in their homes and it wasn't good. It wasn't pleasant. I pray, God, that you would reveal your son to them where he was when they went through that. And I pray you would whisper into their ears what you wanted them to hear that day that maybe they were unable to hear. But today, give them ears to hear. So Holy Spirit, come. In your name I pray. Amen. Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine. Be gracious you. Lord turn his face towards you. i
children, their children, his favor be upon you, a thousand generations, your family, your children, their children, their children, his favor be upon you, a thousand generations, your family, your children, their children. Their children, His presence, His presence, before you and behind you and beside you, all around you and within you, He is with you, He is with you. In the morning, in the evening, when you come and you go, when you're weeping and rejoicing, He is for you. to harm me but God intended it for good you intended to harm me but God intended it for good that night when I went to sleep after I encouraged my kids I didn't say those exact words but basically that's what happened 
Satan, you intended to harm me with those things that I had to endure, but God intended it for good. God is for you. May you know that. May you go to him and may he use your life to bless your children and their children to a thousand generations. And so God, I pray for my brothers and my sisters and I thank you for them. And whatever you have revealed to them today, I pray it will be sealed deep within their hearts. They would never forget it. I pray they would also share it with others, people that are close to them, so they could rejoice together. But God, help us to never forget that you are for us. And so because you are for us, it doesn't matter who is against us. That though people intended to harm us, in the end, God, you intended it for good. And so God, whatever junk, whatever pain, whatever trauma we have been through in our lives, God, may you redeem it and breathe life into it. And I pray that in some way that only you can make it, that it would be good in our lives and others would experience the goodness of it, Lord. And so bless this church as we're going deep into our souls and looking at some of the deep, dark things of our family's past. This is not to blame our families, our parents. They did the best with what they could, but it's to grow and to overcome our family sin patterns. Thank you, God, for this time. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope that God spoke to you. There's some next steps that I would love for you to take. And so if you have your communication card, can you just please click on that? And we're going to go through some next steps. The first one, I'm committing my life to Jesus for the very first time. If you've never done that, please check that off. We will get back to you. Second, will you admit a family sin pattern in your small group this week, if you're in a soul group, or to someone? It's time that you start admitting it. If you've never done it before because your family has sworn you to secrecy, it's time to start admitting it, all right, in a safe community that will hold that information in confidence, all right? Third, I will receive prayer today through Metro's virtual prayer rooms. Listen, some of you received from God. You, it was, it's been beautiful, but now you need somebody to pray for you. So please, make sure you click on the virtual prayer room, emetro.org slash pray. Make sure you do that. Four, I will seek help by reaching out to a friend, a mentor, a pastor, or a counselor this week. Let's start getting help. Don't wait anymore. Let's start the process of getting help, all right? Fifth, I will pray, Jesus, allow me to live a life of integrity in my own home. Psalms 101 too. You'll begin to pray that every single day. Journal it, whatever it takes. Jesus, allow me to live a life of integrity in my own home. And then the last thing, partnership class is on December the 6th. Love to invite you if you've been a part of Newcomers Connections. If you want to take the next step of becoming a partner in this church or even learning what it means, please check that off and we'll get back to you, okay?